Hey there, and welcome to another edition of Inside Intercom. As the year draws to a close, we wanted to take an episode and use it to share some behind-the-scenes thinking into one of the things our team here at Intercom gets asked about all the time, our events, specifically our recently concluded Inside Intercom World Tour. This year's tour was called Lessons Learned, the successes and failures of building an unconventional product company. We visited 10 cities across the globe with 12 speakers in tow who essentially bared everything about what we've gotten wrong in the six plus years of building Intercom so that the 6,000 total attendees could avoid those same mistakes. So to learn and share why it is we've invested so heavily in events as part of our marketing mix, how we measure their success, and from a product perspective, the principles a good event is built upon, we thought we'd hand the mics over to the brains behind our own operation. As our manager of events, Megan Sheridan, explains all to director of brand design, Stuart Scott Curran. In Stuart's chat with Megan, you'll get a sense for the unique marketing opportunity events bring to the table. The difference between events and advertising first up is that you're actively getting someone's attention for a long period of time in a space that you design and create yourself for people that you specifically wanted to meet. The different types of audiences you have out there and where to find them. We'll go to cities that are known tech hubs and are growing. We'll go to cities where we have a lot of customers because we want to meet them. We'll go to cities where we have a lot of users that don't yet pay us so that we can meet them too. And how to start small when it comes time for your own marketing team to try something like this. You've got smart people, you've got thought leadership, you've got good values, you've got an interesting culture, you've got an office somewhere. (laughs) You know, you've, you've got things to work with. If you like what you hear and want to check out more of our Inside Intercom interviews, where we cover everything from product management and design to marketing, engineering, and the business of startups, you can subscribe to our show over at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. But now, let's hop into the studio, where Stuart Scott Curran is with Megan Sheridan. You're listening to Inside Intercom. Intercom, making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. Megan, welcome to the Inside Intercom podcast. Thank you. It's great to have you. Yeah. (laughs) So to set the scene a little bit, we just wrapped up the 2017 edition of the World Tour. Congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations too. You're probably ready (laughs) for a holiday now. I'd like to take a nap. (laughs) (laughs) So that's all done. So your official title is our manager of of events. Mm -hmm. So it probably covers like a fairly broad range of tasks relating to like events in general so it would be cool to to just like get a little bit of an oversight into like everything that that role covers sure so the obvious thing that we do is that we produce events and really kind of our level of mastery would be in kind of logistics more so than anything else and um, but a large part of the role itself is about strategy and um, having the right roadmap and plan and tactics in place, particularly working in a company like Intercom, which wouldn't naturally necessarily have an in-house events team, or I'm sure that you felt the same way with a brand design studio. It's just, it's a little bit out of the ordinary. So we spend a lot of our time aligning ourselves with the product, with the recruiting team, the sales team, the brand design team, the content team. There's a lot of collaboration that happens on that level. So strategy internally and externally is, is kind of our secret sauce, I guess. Yeah. So why do events, you know, like what does that give us that maybe just like some advertising might not or, you know, other kind of like ways to get ourselves in front of, you know, customers, potential customers? I think 
I think that's a hard question to answer, and I don't know if anybody's answered that question particularly well, so I'll give it a go. Um, but I, the difference between events and advertising first up is that you're actively getting someone's attention for a long period of time in a space yeah. that you design and create yourself right. for people that you specifically wanted to meet. And you really get to have your own voice for that length of time, too. So that's a much bigger opportunity than having a billboard. Is as measurable, slightly, <laughs> but more generally speaking, it's something that's much, much more targeted and I guess in ways risky. And so this year's edition of the tour could certainly be called like, you know, some might call it risky, some might call it ambitious. Some might some, call it silly. Some might call it silly. <laughs> some might call not a it, mistake anyway. No. Certainly not a mistake. Um, <laughs> so these events, like they're definitely a little bit unlike, you know, your run of the mill tech show. For anybody who wasn't able to make it out or or we didn't make it to their particular city, like what kind of experience were you actually trying to create there? Like what should people expect when they when they showed up to this? Yeah, so essentially we created a theater show that was had four people as a cast passing one piece of content over to each other. It was kind of like a one man monologue style show. There were no slides, there was no clicker, there was Artwork that was designed by your team behind them to support what they were saying. Everything was really about allowing people to be very present. So there was a designed newspaper that had key takeaways from the show itself, kind of like a theater program, but in the tech world. We had these undefined spaces that were really big and quite dark, and we only lit areas that we wanted people to focus on. The whole thing was about allowing people to not be overstimulated and to just take a second and kind of be in control of their experience as well. So that's really what we did. And then in terms of the content that people spoke about, it was a lot of storytelling and honest storytelling, candid storytelling at that, about kind of the mistakes that they've made as well as the good stuff along the way, particularly at this point of their career for the last like six years at Intercom. Um, and that included content that people just normally don't really want to talk about, like people and the difficulties with people management as much as the wins, you know, trying to be on a marketing team in a product first company. What happens then? Things like that. And then just the, just the bigger picture of our industry and like What's our responsibility? Is there responsibility? Um, how do we operate? When are we going to run out of luck? Um, and, and how do we need to build for the future? So it's a lot of kind of opinion pieces as well. Um, but the whole thing was designed from scratch. Um, and it's something that we're very proud of. But, you know, that was like a, a pretty big production. It ran for six months, the production of which I know goes back like much, much further. We visited, you know, 10 cities with 12 speakers. And then, you know, around about 6,000 attendees in, in total. So that's like a pretty, those are pretty big numbers. And it, and it feels like a, a pretty ambitious production. Like what were like the big goals that, that we were trying to achieve with that? When you, when you go back to like the very early stages of, of planning this thing. Yeah. So there's kind of two separate things that are happening. There's obviously business goals that you're going to have. And then there's the personal events or a more creative goal that you have. And I suppose a lot of the time what we're, we're trying to do is just challenge perception or challenge the limits of what other people have set before us and kind of question, is that the right way to do things? Maybe let's try this, something you're not unfamiliar with yourself. Yeah. But um, obviously then there's, there's something that's a little more directive. Again, you can split them in two. One is measurable. One is completely not measurable. Yep. And that's something that event managers will never tell you because <laughs> it doesn't make us sound great, but it's the truth. Yep. Uh, you can't measure it all. Uh, so there's some things that you can't measure, like brand awareness necessarily, right? you got to get out there and let people know that you exist. 
um, and say hi to them. Then there's brand differentiation. It's like, so, hey, we're here. Um, but by the way, there's something interesting about us or there's something special that we, we think we have to share with you. Um, you can't really measure that. You can check out Twitter and see that people actually completely agree with you and, and say that this is such a different event. It's something that they've never experienced before. They can really relate to you, unlike other things, you know. That's not so measurable, though. And same with brand awareness. Like, right, six over 6,000 people came to see this thing, but what did that really do to your business? So there are less measurable goals. And then there's other things that are a little bit more measurable, like meeting and nurturing your customers. Um, so how many people did you actually get to meet out of your yep. customers' uh, yep. subset? And then there's other things like doubling your audience. That's a really, really powerful thing for you to do. And that was one of our big goals this year was to double our audience from last year. And we managed to up a couple of cities by 2x, which is just super, super powerful. I'm not sure if you could do that with many other functions in that quick uh, succession of time. Yeah, that was this year. Our first event was, was what, two and a half years ago? Something uh, like that? Yeah. Longer? Yeah, I think it, it was in April of 2000, and yep. I'm going to say 15. Yeah. Yeah. It was 100 people <laughs> in the canteen of the Dublin office. That was big shit. <laughs> Five euros a ticket. Um, We've obviously come a long way from 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 that. But like, what are some of the the important lessons that you learned, like during those like super early days of just very starting to first get going with events? Yeah, like I look back on them with so much fondness because almost nothing has changed. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, like literally the same principles are, are are still there. Are people going to have a good good experience? Are we getting the right people here? Are we being as smooth as possible? Are we allowing people to not have to worry or stress about how this gets done or what's next or if the TV's working? Simple, simple things to just make sure that it's polished so that people can be present. None of that has changed. Literally yeah. none of that's changed over the years at all. So what we defined in those early days and what we stressed over at that first event is exactly the same brief, the same problems, the same stress points that we focus on today, no matter how many people are working on it. So I look back at it with so much fondness because um, it was really the moment we defined how we think about this and that hasn't changed at all since. Yeah. Yeah. And so how did we scale those events so fast and and why? We scaled those events with with blind ambition, to be totally honest. We didn't even know if we could. Yeah. Um, it was a risk. There was nothing to say that we could get 700 people in a room six months later Um, but that's what we did in Dublin we decided to just go for it and see what could happen so we basically doubled down on our promotional efforts and actually started thinking about how can we talk to people how can we talk to people even using intercom that's really the main way that we actually promote events itself we run campaigns with it but that was the main thing we just booked a dangerous venue and and that was our goal and and I think once you have that it's actually quite methodical kind of bringing it back to the logistics thing but that's really how we did it and once we started to realize you can't tell until you start to run your own events and you're in a room with a couple hundred people that care about what you're saying and agree with you or disagree with you, but you're having an open conversation. That's massively valuable and, and actually pretty priceless. So it started to become pretty clear to myself and I know Des and Owen and a couple other folks who were in the marketing team at the time that this was something special and that we shouldn't drop it, that we should quite intently and aggressively keep moving forward. And I think as well, we're in a in a lucky opportunity point and I still think that this is definitely a thing where there's not that many interesting events out there there just isn't so that inspires us all the time but there's there's just nothing super inspiring or exciting or different or thought-provoking happening and we've got really really smart people in a really smart industry yeah um and wouldn't it be fun if so that's that's really just kind of the game we're playing too 
one of the things that I really loved about about the recent events that we've put on is it does feel different. And, you know, whereas when you go along to a lot of like tech events, like you hear about the success stories and you and you hear about everything that's that's gone great. I think yeah. one of the things that I really loved about this was like we talked a lot about failures as well and you know shit that we learned along the way and things that we did things that we did wrong as much if not more than the stuff that that went right what what's the thinking behind that no one wakes up a winner <laughs> do they <laughs> if they do i'd like to meet them but i just don't believe it um i think it's a strange strange thing to put forward i just think it's strange i think it works against how humans think and act and want to react with each other as well um, it just doesn't wash well. So why would it wash well on a stage? It's it's strange. It's also why we laugh at reality TV because it's so unrealistic. It's yeah. just we're in this weird stage, I think. So that freaks me out a little bit. But just generally speaking, maybe it's something to do with our company culture and how open it's been from day one about where we've really fucked things up or where things just didn't go well. But you realize that the most interesting and stressful and the biggest growth periods that you're going to experience are all around mistakes basically mistakes or things just going wrong or unexpected things happening all of them and when you're in a company that changes so quickly you can't ignore those things and you can't not feel them directly either so if you're going to get on a stage and speak to people I think you owe it to them or even to yourselves to do something a little bit more valuable than to pretend that everything's fucking dandy yeah you know I think it's a respect thing I actually think it's a respect thing on a lot of levels and I remember actually this is kind of related but Recently, your team supported our booth at Dreamforce. And the whole theme of that design was about recognizing people being human, <laughs> right? There, there were things like, I know you're tired, or I know it's day four and you're overwhelmed, or, you know, and actually people proactively interacted with us because of that. And that's because it's such a drain. It's, it doesn't exist anymore. Not in our industry, but actually just generally. It, it's a generational thing at the moment, but it's just something that's missing. And so as much as it freaks me out, it's my tiny thing to try and just help put it out there a little bit more um, because nothing's going to happen if we don't do that. Before we continue with today's guest, I just want to take a quick second to let you know about our amazing archive of podcasts. It's full of insights from thought leaders from the worlds of product management, design, marketing, and a lot more. People like Megan Keeney Anderson, Megan was VP of marketing for HubSpot for over nine years. She joined us to talk about how marketers should adapt their customer acquisition strategies in the age of the internet. Internet will rise and fall and go through different iterations. And our job as content creators, as marketers, is to really study that and stay close to it and adapt. You can hear Megan's episode and lots more on intercom.com forward slash blog forward slash podcasts. Okay, let's get back to today's interview. So we talked a a little bit about like what measuring success looked like and and how it can be difficult to really lock down on what the ROIs are. How do we convince anybody to to do this stuff? And and how and how (laughs) may like somebody who's Who's listening to this? Who's who's thinking about maybe they might want to start putting on some events? Like how would they how would they go around like planning for that and and getting the support that they need internally to do that? Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't think it's easy to do that. I think it's possible. It, it's probably the hardest thing that I 
do every 12 months, um, mostly when I'm trying to get a budget for this kind of thing. But really, when we started, it was much more organic than that. So we were lucky that I didn't have to answer those difficult questions or really pitch those things to people. These days, I genuinely have to pitch to finance and analytics. Then I pitch to Des and Owen. Then I'll pitch to you about kind of the brand design direction. Then I will pitch to any speaker that I really want to take part in this thing. Then I'll pitch to content. There are so many different pitches on so many different energy levels and with so many different goals in mind. It actually takes a couple of months to do it. Yeah. Genuinely to seal the deal. Yeah. But earlier on, when you're when you're trying to think about how to convince people to do it, I actually think the healthiest thing to do is to look at what's the risk genuinely at play by us not doing this. I bet it's much, much bigger than the risk of us actually doing this. Yep. And a lot of the time when you're starting out, and it's kind of the same as what I was saying earlier, where the principles never, ever change. The way that you can put on an event and focus on goals never changes either. So you don't actually need to put money into this first and foremost. You can put a very small amount of money into this. Your values, your thought process and your authenticity and pulling from what you actually already have in the company, right? You've got smart people. You've yep. got thought leadership. You've got good values, you've got an interesting culture, you've got an office somewhere, <laughs> you know, you've, you've got things to work with. So it's less of a fight at that stage, but really the buy-in at that stage is, is really emotional and making sure that people show up and feel the difference and that you can do some some simple kind of feedback on, on how it actually went, who showed up. So what are the key things to consider when you're when you're starting to actually plan out these events? Like there's obviously like a, a bunch of different variables. There's like venue choice, the cities that you go to, the type of content that you want to have in there. How do you actually start to like put all of those things together in some like package that, that makes sense? Do you mean for the tour? Yeah. The first thing is to have a reason to do it. Or a concept. The concept is the first thing, actually, really. Yeah. It's like, what do we have to say? How do we want to say it? And so that's the first document that was ever put together was kind of just this like one line blurb of the failures and successes of an unconventional product company. So that's what we want to put out there. And how do we want to do it? Well, let's remove all the things that we don't like about events. <laughs> let's take away yeah. slides. Let's take away clickers. Let's take away MCs. Yeah. Let's cue everything with lights. Let's work directly with the brand design team. Let's really create something from scratch. And let's use venues that most people probably wouldn't be excited to use because there's nothing in them. So that was kind of the first concept. Then generally what, what the goal of the year for the events team is. And then you start to think about where you should go. The tour started making sense for us a long time ago. Really, we didn't feel like we were in a position where people were going to come to us and travel to come and see us. And why should they? You know, we're, st we're still a baby company in a bunch of different ways. So we want to go somewhere. How do we decide where we're going to go? Um, based on our goals where we want to... Create. I actually don't think I mentioned it earlier, but we do specifically look to create net new Aurora also. Yeah. Um, so it is a revenue thing on a, on a very tiny, small level, as much as it is about seeing our customers. So we'll go to cities that are known tech hubs and are growing. We'll go to cities where we have a lot of customers because we want to meet them. Mm. Uh, we'll go to cities where we have a lot of users that don't yet pay us so that we can meet them too. Um, and so it's kind of you're, you're killing about four birds with one stone yeah. by doing that. Yeah. And so strategically, that's how we pull it together. So A, concept, B, clear goals, and then C, go to the people. And so what are the promotional channels that you're leveraging to try and get the word out to these people that you're coming to their city, that they might want to come out and see you? Like, how do you make sure you're you're reaching the right types of folks? Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. There's the old school way and there's the new school way. 
I guess I'm calling Intercom New School, but we use Intercom for probably 85 to 90% of our promotion, uh, which is interesting. We'll use a little in-app messenger on the events website itself, the tour website, and then we'll actually use auto messages in each city also. And then we'll use manual messages for anyone that's ever been to an event before. I think it's really important from day one, we're still talking to and building on the same small 100 people that we had in that room in Dublin. It's important to build your events database. It's different to your company users. It just is. Um, And so so it's important to promote both of those separately. We use social media. We do paid advertising as well. And then we do old school things like we make sure that we post out hard copies of posters to different incubators and co-working spaces around the world. You'd be surprised how much they're willing to help you out. And then we also make sure that we have promotion up on any event website where they do listings, basically. So there's a couple of different things that you can do. uh, But really, the main driver is using our own intercom product. One thing that was interesting to me about about this series of events is that when you think about marketing and, you know, say, for example, like the launch of a new product, you get one chance to ship it. You know, you don't really get, like, another chance to make a first impression this was a little bit different because we were definitely like rethinking and and reshaping yeah what this would be like as we went through yeah was that something that was like a really conscious process or or was it more in in reaction to just like seed improvements that you could make i think it was a little bit of both this was definitely designed i think even earlier when we spoke it must have been, it was last October when we first spoke about this whole idea. Yeah. But when we when we spoke, it was about creating something so bare that we're completely in control. And I always feel that with events or anything live or even live launches and things, like not a lot of things are under your control. And that's something that bothers me a little bit. And I and I really thought it'd be an interesting project because it goes on for so long to be able to build and change and, and swap things out. That happened more than I thought it would. And I think you'll agree though it was a really positive thing to do and, and possibly something that we should always yeah. uh, put in place and just create a bit more of a forgiving environment. I think the first show that we did is something that I'm very proud of. And then the last show that we did was very different, but it stuck to the same concept. And it's something that I think we can be really, really proud of as well, but very different. And so I think there's some things that you can afford to swap out, some things you can't. I think the quality of like speakers and content is something that needs to be consistent. I think the creative spaces in all of this is down to experience and design. I think you get a bit of liberty with that kind of stuff. We always talk about like shipping to learn. Like I feel like this Uh, was... I think that that's an excuse. This was was like 100% ship and then learn. I think think at times it was like ship and don't talk to me about it. (laughs) Yeah, no, fair. Um, (laughs) Fair. But uh, I think... I even think I'd be interested to know from your experience, though, as well, because after every show, there was some feedback or changes or we couldn't always make changes in times for different shows and really had to start to prioritize things in different ways and look at them and break it down as separate projects. And I wonder from your point of view, you know, was that something that was useful for your team? It's a very like somewhat of an abstract concept that you're going to put on this show in like a physical space and it's going to look like this and we kind of design it really in in the same way as a lot of other things that we do but it's it's hard to to really visualize like 
how it comes to life when there's actually people in the space sure and lights and music and and all of that type of thing so i think like how we were thinking about it before the first event definitely evolved like as we moved through and we started to to kind of realize some opportunities that we might have had that we that we didn't necessarily think of at the beginning i think that that's something interesting that i definitely learned in even events role in any of these things is like you're definitely a bridge between many many functions in a marketing team and it's actually your job to communicate and manage that expectation with people kind of first and foremostly and a lot of times I think there's a misunderstanding between the breakdown of like production and then brand design work and that was definitely a challenge for us to pull that together there's such a difference between stepping behind something that's on a screen and being in a space with energy and people and unpredictability um, and that's something that we've become less aware of how that's a difficult thing to actually put forward and yeah. think about. Yeah. So the show was called Lessons Learned. It's the worst. At this what? stage, it's the worst pun ever. <laughs> There's so many lessons learned from lessons learned. Well, that's what I'm going to ask you. Like, <laughs> what, what are the lessons that you learned from lessons learned? <laughs> <laughs> I think I learned that When you design something that should feel simple, it will never be very simple. I learned that ambition is something that you should probably budget a little bit more. Yeah. There's this temptation. Maybe it's just a personal thing, but there's such a temptation when you have an opportunity to just keep jumping and to push things. And you expect a whole team of 35 people in your company to go with you which isn't realistic all of the time. So I I think that this tour in many ways is the epitome of close to too ambitious. So here's what I really want to know. Like, there must have been, like, a low point, the point where you were just like, what the fuck am I doing? And conversely, there was probably, like, a really high point as well. Like, I'd be super interested to know, like, (laughs) what was going on at at those two points in time. This is going to sound terrible. My my lowest point in the tour was the day after the first show. <laughs> and kind of a few days up towards that. Actually, three minutes into the first show, I needed to leave the building, basically. <laughs> it was... It's a lot to come together. And if it's not working, it's really not working. That's yeah. kind of, again, what our design for this thing was so simple that if anything is off... It's a total crash and burn, yep. which I don't really advise anybody to to do so much. Maybe that's one of my lessons learned as well. Yeah. But it was definitely after the first show. We just didn't have our shit together, to be completely honest. All of the different functions that we've been collaborating with didn't meet in the middle. It was messy. It was difficult. And I think it's the first time we realized we were just doing a crazy production. It, it's a live broadcast with like 35 people running the show while there's a speaker on stage. So just everything came together and and I finally realized you spend all your time pitching and then you get people on a stage and there's everyone sitting there waiting for this thing to happen and it's a total mess. So that was a real low point and uh, it took a while to kind of get out of that. (laughs) We were in Berlin like three days later and we needed to fix everything. That was a low point. It can be tough, it can be draining, it can be tiring. And we had been on tour the previous year so it really felt including the film crew and everybody really just felt like we'd been doing this thing for two years and then the high point I think was in San Francisco when you see like 950 people in a room when a year ago you were struggling to get 450 people in a room 
And we're at a point where we're really proud of this thing. Everyone's really proud of the production they're about to put forward. And it ran really smoothly. And it was at that point we saw what we planned to do literally a year before that. And that's a really fantastic moment to be lucky enough to actually get. Because mostly in events, but I think just generally speaking in what we're all doing here, you're not going to get to see that happen. So it's a really crazy thing to see it and experience it and, and see other people experiencing that. That's such a high. It's really yeah. nice. So what's next for events at Intercom? I think events are going to take a step back and, and maybe grow from or build from the bottom up a little bit more. I don't think it's normal to go on tour every year, but I definitely think there's some fun things that we can rethink and redesign and, and challenge as well. I'd love for us to start thinking about community an awful lot more. I think that's going to be a fun one for you and I to work on. Yeah. And kind of just get a little bit more down to the ground and and a little bit smaller with things. You can't keep putting a thousand people in a room and give them a crazy light show and expect things to go well. So I, I think kind of pairing it back and actually going a little bit back to our older days is going to be really nice. There's a power in kind of being DIY and guerrilla about things and I'm really hungry for us to do that. Well, it's been a pleasure to you know, work together on this and I'm looking forward to whatever whatever comes next. Thank you so much, Stu. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com slash intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com. <laughs>